Oasis. Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. My name is Scott Allen, and I am the host of Phronesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. I am an Associate Professor of Management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. I'm an author, an entrepreneur, a speaker, a nonprofit founder, and the host of two podcasts. I'm also a husband and dad of three. You just heard from Kate, my daughter, who wrote and performed the Phronesis intro. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover timely, relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. Now, I am proud to share that Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ilaglobalnetwork.org. If you like what we're up to, please click subscribe so you can stay up to date as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others. And now, today's show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Phronesis. Uh, today, I am with Sadna Warty Hall. Uh, her commitment as a teacher and a practitioner of leadership reflects a deep dedication to justice and empowerment locally and globally. She's applied her experience in management and strategic thinking to community development at institutions ranging in location from New Hampshire and Vermont to Tuvalu, Armenia, and Bhutan. As the current deputy director of the Rockefeller Center for Public Policy at Dartmouth College, she manages overall operations. She conceptualized the curricula of high-impact co-curricular leadership and mentoring programs and now oversees them. In recognition of her work, Sadna received Dartmouth College's Sheila Culbert Distinguished Employee Service Award, the Australia Government's Endeavor Executive Leadership Award to adapt and implement leadership curricula for Australian Indigenous communities, and acceptance into the Fulbright Specialist Program. Over the past few years, over 25 students in the center's leadership programs have participated in other organizations throughout Dartmouth, and they've gone on to receive awards including the Rhodes, Truman, Fulbright, Knight Hennessy, Schwartzman, and Pickering Scholarships. That's a good track record. She is co-author of Teaching Leadership, Bridging Theory and Practice, and that was 2018. And congratulations, July 2021. Every one of you can check the show notes right now and click on Amazon links to purchase Leadership Blueprints, Adopt, Adapt, and Adjust. Today, I am excited to have a conversation with you, Sadna, and we are going to, I think, start by honoring a, a, a mutual friend of ours. You had been engaged, a co-author of yours, uh, and, and passed away this summer, Gama Perucci. Welcome to the podcast, and maybe we start there. Could we get some reflections on your co-author? And of course, the two of you worked on the guiding principles for the International Leadership Association, and just such a, a shining star, isn't he? Is wonderful. And I love it, Scott, that you're talking about him in the present tense, because I feel he lives 
with us and he lives through the students, the faculty, the alumni that were really influenced by his thoughts, the way he was and the way he is in our minds. Gotta tell you, he was the driving force in encouraging me to write and push me way, way, way beyond my comfort zone. And he wanted me to share my thoughts and contributions with others. As you know, he passed away recently with a courageous battle after a long illness. And God knows he was so elegant and optimistic and such a role model in this process. I can only hope that I also behave the same way when the time comes. <laughs> so I do want to recognize his contribution as the other co-chair of the ILA task force for the general principles that focused on academic, curricular, and co-curricular programs. We were we were joking a little bit before we started recording because I served on the ILA board with Gamma and it was always so amazing to watch him in action because we'd be embroiled in this conversation for 20 or 25 minutes. And then he would very elegantly wrap everything up in a bow, say it eloquently, and everyone would just kind of nod and say, yes, that's the way we're going to move forward. (laughs) All at once, as if we had been, you know, under his spell, right? (laughs) Very true. And everything was so understated, you know, and it's a profound personal and professional loss for me because I feel like I've lost a brother, a friend, a colleague, and someone who really pushes you to do your best in the most understated way possible. Yes. So I'm grateful that part of my journey also included someone like Gamma. Tell the story of the two of you co-authoring your first book together. You you shared <laughs> this a little. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Gamma used to come very often to Dartmouth. He was teaching in two of our co-curricular programs, the Rockefeller Global Leadership Program and also the Management and Leadership Development Program. So through the course of all this, he got to interact with the students, he got to understand who I was, understood what the programming was. So one day he came to me with a proposition and an idea. He said, Sadna, I would love for you to co-author this book with me. You're a practitioner, you're you're at heart. I've seen you develop all these amazing programs. I'd love for you to co-author this book. And I immediately said no. And he smiled in the gamma special way and went off. Went upstairs, then he came down. After a little while, he said, I was thinking. And I was like, oh my God. Uh Uh Uh-oh. So he said, you know, I've heard you say and tell the students, walk the walk. Why aren't you walking the walk when we have talked so many times that your ideas, your contributions, and your programs must be shared with other people. I didn't have an answer for that. And so there it was. (laughs) (laughs) You pulled out your laptop and started writing, didn't you? (laughs) Started writing. And it was a great journey. And through that journey, I got to know him, his wife, his family, and uh, the same that's why I say it's like very personal for me also, yeah. apart from the fact that professionally we've lost an amazing, amazing individual. 
Well, you know, I was speaking with one of his former students and who lives in Northeast Ohio. Mm-hmm. And we had an opportunity to connect because I knew he had graduated from Marietta. And it was just so wonderful to connect with someone who knew him in that way as an educator, because I'd never really spoken with one of his students. And the words that he had for Gama, just, uh, I hope students say that about me someday. I mean, it's, it's just, a, it was so beautiful to hear him talk about his experience. And I think that's everything that all of us can hope for. Very true. We can just hope for it. And we can pray for it and we can work on it and become it. Yes. Because I don't subscribe to the notion that you should fake it till you make it. You should work on it until you become it. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Work on it till you become it. Become it. And I tell my students this all the time because, you know, they come and sometimes the students will stare at me and they'll just simply say, Sadna, you just got to fake it till you make it. And I just say, no, you've got to work on it till you become it. <laughs> work <laughs> on it till so you've earned it. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> well, so talk a little bit about the process, because I've also had some conversations, Denny Roberts, uh, Dave Rush, Dan Jenkins, some of the folks who worked on the ILA guiding principles with the two of you, because the two of you led that committee. And very, very important work. So would you talk a little bit about that process and, and maybe even just highlight a couple of things that stood out for you that you're proud of? Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually really proud of many things, really. I think that this was a really incredible journey for me. I understood the reason why I was, Gama asked me to co-chair with him because he was not feeling too great. But at the same time, I think we were supported by such an amazing group of 19 others. Yeah. You mentioned some of them, you know, Denny, Dan, Raj, so many of them. You know, what was interesting was that they were from different parts of the world. We were 20 of us. Great. 12 were US-based, but from many different nationalities too, and maybe US nationalities, but then there was someone from New Zealand, Mexico, Egypt, South Africa, Japan, Canada, and the UK. So this is one of the reasons I feel really proud because not only did they bring upon, think about all how their thoughts mattered within their own cultural context, but they also, I think, very respectfully challenging of each other's views to come to a common understanding. So I love that about the process. And, you know, I think that, There's many things I can remember, but I will share some basic things that I really recall. I think all of us in there were lifelong learners and we believed in continuous quality improvement. So in that sense, this concept paper is a living document and we really hope that it continues to evolve over time and reflect theories and practices that are being developed in this field that you and I so love. And we believed Gamma and I really believed a good idea becomes a great idea with the input of many because it brings together many different perspectives. The process really was actually an example of that. And there were times, you know, and I could talk about the highs, there were times when many people were busy, but other people pitched in. Was the process always perfect? No, but when you look at the end result, it was really great. 
I do believe that having a systematic process that gives voice to different opinions is key when we lead or follow in our different various endeavors. And I think we must build on uh, the good intentions of others, really, and keep evolving our thoughts and ideas continually. So there are many, many other things because they were fun, so much fun to work with. And I really love that part as well. Yeah. And you know, cross time zone, Scott. That <laughs> is mind blowing. That you you just covered almost all of the time zones. It sounds like <laughs> you try to work work on it, and you know, later on, I just want to. I always like to recognize everyone, but maybe the, at the end, I will just give tribute to each one, almost with the roll call if we have the time. <laughs> of course, of course, we can do that for sure. I love how you framed that it's it's a living, breathing document. It's a work in progress. We, and, and Denny Roberts had, as he kind of talked about his experience on the committee, he spoke so highly of that process, of the opportunity to bring multiple perspectives from all over the world. And, and that he really did also, I mean, he shared similar sentiments that it's a it's a work in progress. It's a living document that uh, all of us are continuously learning and developing and growing and seeing the world through new lenses. And I, I love the spirit of that. And then I love the spirit of fun, right? You yeah. had a good time. <laughs> we did. We really had a good time. And I think that, you know, I just recognize also how respectfully people disagreed. That was lovely because, you know, it makes me think about this. Let's disagree let's agree we disagree let's not be disagreeable yes well it reminds me of gamma because at times he would shut me down but i didn't even know i'd been shut down <laughs> <laughs> i'd have to i'd have to think for a moment now i'd have to say oh wow he just disagreed with me but i feel great <laughs> it is a very rare quality <laughs> I think in leadership and management, we really should do it. <laughs> exactly. So hard. We should practice so hard. Uh, and especially now, troubled times, really, let's disagree. Let's agree we disagree, but let's not be disagreeable. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's problematic when I see, uh, and I'm really, really passionate about this in our leadership programs. So we have actual sessions on difficult conversations and how you practice yes using elegant words you know words matter yes how you make other people safe face yes and how you really truly come to a deeper understanding of where the other person is coming from exactly exactly yeah he was he was brilliant at that work and and i I can only imagine because I've I spent the summer working on a curriculum and, and there were a team of us working on this curriculum and especially passionate leadership educators who who have their own perspectives and their lenses coalescing all of that was your own leadership challenge I imagine truly it was a it was a challenge in a different sort of way it was yeah. a challenge in a joyful way because you knew that maybe Scott has disagreed with person X. And it was so easy for me, Scott, to literally say, let's come back and look at this. So uh, what was, I think I learned a lot about really 
bringing people together and how you do it across time zones. Yes. You know, because sometimes someone wasn't able to come in and I needed to make sure that their voice was being heard. Yep. And therefore I would reach out to them. Yep. So I think that there was there was that and I think massively well organized process at least to the extent we could. Of course we made mistakes along the way but be course corrected and i think that's because one of the qualities of leadership is to acknowledge it and be humble and then start figuring out how you're going to course correct quickly <laughs> let's use that as a transition to your book so july 2021 it's not even a month old we have leadership blueprints adopt adapt and adjust so would you give us, and I'll put, I'll put a link in the show notes to both the ILA guiding principles, but then also your two books and maybe share with us some of the highlights of that work. What are you proud of? What, what, uh, what really stands out for you? Or would you like listeners to know about that work? Well, thank you so much. So, <laughs> so it really goes back to my history of why I started working in higher ed in the first place. So I had a career in international work because of personal circumstances. And very quickly, I learned the importance of humility Mm. and the importance of empathy. My circumstances were such that I had been offered many jobs, but I took the Dartmouth position because people were very, very kind to me. Mm. At the time when I needed it most, my mother had just died and I was in India and all they could say to me was, don't worry, you can come back when you're ready. Wow. And it completely soothed my really Mm. sad, sad state at that point. And so I decided, well, this sounds like fun. And I had other offers, but those people who offered those positions to me literally said this to me, Scott, when can you come? And I was like, I am not ready yet. And so that's how my journey in higher ed started. So I thought I was going to be there for two years. That was in 2004. (laughs) (laughs) So that was in 2004. And I have got to say, Andrew Sambic, who was the former director of the Rockefeller Center, the Nelson A. Rockefeller Center, actually, really gave me the opportunity, along with Fritz Corrigan and Glenda Corrigan, where we had the resources to build a complement of leadership programs. One idea led to another. One understanding of a gap led to another development. And all of a sudden, we had a continuum of leadership programs. So fast forward, teaching leadership, bridging theory, practice, we talked about those basic principles, gamma and I, and then started this process like, so Sadna, what's your next plan? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I speak from a place of real difficult uh, circumstances where every time something difficult has happened in my life, great things have happened. So I had a friend who also was extremely ill, and to humor her, I used to be telling her about the programs all the time. And I used to always say, Katie, I'm going to write about them. Katie, I'm going to write about them. And that day, one day she just said, 
Turn your talk into action. <laughs> I think I have the title for this episode. Leadership is turning talk into action. And so I tried to really do like a quick sprint to finish the book in time for Katie to see and hold. And same thing with Gamma, because he wrote the foreword of the book. Really? Yes, he wrote the foreword for the book, you know. And I really wanted both of them to see this book. And both of them now are looking at it and they're smiling at their handiwork. They're wow. probably thinking, wow, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us about some of the highlights of the book. So, you know, we have many leadership programs offered by the Nelson A. Rockefeller Center. The ones that the book really is focusing on are the core leadership programs for different target ages and developmental stages. Okay. We have programs for first-year students. We have programs for uh, second-year, third-year, and final-year students. And then we have a final-year program just for seniors. Each one of them has a very different kind of a flavor to it. So the first-year program really focuses on values, attitudes, behaviors, preparation for the workplace. The second year, third year and fourth year program, which is called the Management Leadership Development Program, focuses much more on this basic idea that management is doing things right, leadership is doing the right thing. It looks at technical competencies and prepares students to go into internships and reflect. Awesome. And then the third program is the Rockefeller Global Leadership Program because, you know, we are working in an interconnected world. It's really important for us to focus on intercultural competencies that we need. Yes. To become really, really fluent in working in other cultures and really bring out the best in others. It's really important, I think, for me. And, and that really is an absolute, absolute passion of mine because of my international work. Well, and I imagine as juniors or third-year students at this point, this is probably roughly around the time when some of them are traveling abroad. Is that accurate? Exactly. So they're going to foreign study programs or they're coming back. So they, it's also looking forward and it's also reflecting back on your I love it. So that you can actually use reflection as a very important tool. And the final year is this for seniors, which is the Rockefeller Leadership Fellows Program. And that one is so reflective. All these programs have a basis and a foundation. Become self-aware, learn how to work within teams, understand how this plays within organizations to achieve societal good. And I love where you start with the values and, and who am I as an individual, because I don't know that that's, if, if we can build that habit of mind, that way of being to be reflective. And I love how you said, look, reflection is a core piece of all of this, that if we can build that habit of mind of continuous reflection, continuous learning, and just a way of being of looking within, does that make sense? Right. And, you know, it's also along the way, learning how to learn. So because I, I strongly believe, and you know, one of the friend, one of my friends was saying, see, nowadays we, and all of us know this, nowadays we just, if you don't know an answer to a question, we just say, stop, I'm just going to Google, and we just <laughs> go ahead and Google and then respond. 
Yeah. What about the ability to work with others, the ability to really present yourself, your authentic self? Yeah. And what about the ability to think about your organization and how you're going to contribute to its mission? All these things really have to become a way of being. Yes. And you have to work on it till you become it. Well, and you're you're providing that blueprint you're providing that practice field for students now are they in this for all four years every one of the students excellent question so so the first year fellows program is selective okay it's complicated actually the structure so we have a program that's available broadly for everyone on campus and it's called dartmouth leadership attitudes and behaviors okay self-explanatory then we go into the first year fellows program, which is hugely competitive, and we do a boot camp. Ah. We select a few students, and they are placed with mentors who are Dartmouth alums okay. in Washington, D.C. Nice. The la- last couple of years, we've not been able to do it, and we've been doing this virtually, the whole thing, virtually. Oh, my God, Scott. <laughs> it's been awesome. Good. Great. Really. So we have developed what I call a virtual muscle. Yes. Virtual presence. I cannot tell you how many mentors have sent me messages saying, how are these first year students so attentive on Zoom? Ah, isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? And so one of the chapters in the book really describes that, that process. I love that. I I was literally having lunch with a colleague today. He's not a colleague that I work with, but just someone I very much respect. And I said to him, because he had asked me how it was to go online. And Mm -hmm. I said, look, I I didn't know that it could be done, but I went in with a mindset of, I want this to be the best class they've ever taken. And can Mm -hmm. we do that? And can we figure it out? And the students were giving me feedback and I was asking for feedback and I was learning quickly and learning rapidly and don't do this again and do that again. But I love how you enthusiastically said it was awesome because it's different. It's not the same, but I am confident that moving forward this last year, year and a half has provided me with some tools for the arsenal, so to speak, that I didn't know existed, that I hadn't practiced before. And it's, I think, strengthened my overall ability to approach curriculum, think creatively about how we convey and communicate information. So I I just got excited when you said, it was awesome. (laughs) I can why too. See that? (laughs) You have to have fun on the way, you know? So students really started relating to us not only as facilitators of a process, and we did many, many complicated things like project management, you know, how do you network virtually? That's crazy. And how do you develop a program design? How do you write a letter to a senator? All those things we did virtually. And then they did an eight-week fellowship with uh, with the mentors. Nice. That was the first year. And the management and leadership development program follows basically the NACE and the World Economic Forum report. So it's tied to research based on those and also uh, what our colleagues are doing around the country. So we do periodic, uh, you know, like a scan of what the programs are and come to a sweet spot and then use the COPE cycle of learning basically and train our facilitators 
just become so joyful in delivering content, which I just love. And so based on that, you know, the programs have what we call the eight pillars of planning and I've outlined that. Okay. The book. You know, so, so many people have so many pillars. I also thought I'd add so many of my own. <laughs> I'm going to add eight more pillars to your I'm going to add eight more pillars to this. <laughs> but it is kind of true. If you have, you know, if you have rigorous programs, if they are structured, if they have a community element, if they have a good assessment and um, assessment process, if there's participant empowerment, if there's reflection, Notice I mentioned all the eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How subtle of me. I think you have really strong programs. Yeah, I love wow. it. I love it. Well, I'm going to put, like I said, I'm going to put the link into the show notes. And, and I, you know, leadership blueprint, adopt, adapt, adjust. I love those three words. Those are powerful words, especially given some of our recent histories as a globe. Speaking of that, as I as we wind down our conversation for the day, I always ask guests what they're listening to or streaming or reading, uh, consuming that's caught your eye in recent months. You know, I'm really troubled with everything that's going on around the world. I don't know where to start, but I really am reflective about my place in this world now. I listen to a piece of news. And let's take, for example, what's happening in Afghanistan. Yes. I want to see what my place in it is. Mm. Do I need to be an empathetic individual? Do I need to understand the geopolitical situation really well? And as somebody who was born and brought up in India, do I need to start worrying about what's happening in that whole region? Mm. It's not just one thing, right? Yes. And on, on a base level, I really want to, I really want to be a nice person. That's my goal. <laughs> and do you know how hard it is to be nice every day? It is. It's a, it's, if, if we had the whole world practicing that, we'd be a better place. Right. And so I, I feel like if we model it as educators and we model that energy is needed, because, you know, I know how many students are really so sad about the experience right now on campus and so many people who have started their careers are so sad when they come in into a hybrid environment. My question is, it is what it is, my friends. Yes. So can we do something great for each other? And can we build a community that's virtual and in-person together? We need to adapt and adjust, make it happen. That's right? true. Yeah. And you know what, Scott? I have just used literally concepts in this book for the IT department at Dartmouth, together a leadership program. So indeed, I've been using it for K-12. I've been using it also for a public health association. So I really feel like there's something in it for everybody. They can adopt, adapt, and adjust it. As long as they believe, you know, because you have to have a core set of beliefs, there will always be people to support you. That's my belief. If we are individuals in the world who are educating ourselves to better understand, and then if we are, as you mentioned, practicing kindness and working to empathize, which was a key word that you used that brought you to Dartmouth, right? Yeah. And if we're modeling that for our students, but also with one another, 
I think that's an important first step, right? What can I do? Well, I can become educated, I can empathize, and I can model that behavior. It's so important. True. And Scott, you know, one more thing. All these things are great, but they will go nowhere if you're not technically competent. I think that that has to be married with the field of endeavor. All of us think about leadership as a separate field, and I think that it's a field that really supports all other forms of endeavor. And you can really put the two together and make really excellent managers and leaders and people who are leaders and followers. There's controversy about leaders and followers and all this stuff. But seriously, sometimes you lead, follow, or you get out of it. And it's not my thing. And I like how you said that. It doesn't matter if you're at the NIH or if you are in a lab in Los Alamos or if you are working on a farm in Iowa, regardless of your area of expertise and specialty, that knowledge of leadership and great leadership is an incredible compliment, right? Absolutely. I really do want to also talk about the ILA experience too, the task force experience, you know, round this experience out. So that discussion also has helped inform me about what my programs need to look like in the spirit of continuous quality improvement. I love it. I thank all the task force members who pushed that thinking ahead as well. You had a wonderful list of individuals. Do you want to say their names real quick to close us out for the day? So to close out, I really want to thank my colleagues at the Nelson A. Rockefeller Center for Public Policy and the Social Sciences. I want to thank all the members of the Guiding Principles Task Force who just also pushed me to some new levels. (laughs) So thank you, Gamma. Thank you, Carla, Denny, Kirsten, Dan, Grant, Gail, David, Brad, Prince, Adrian, Ahmed, Yvette, Kathy, Oliver, Mickey, Bridget, Joanne, Gareth, and to my two program assistants, Lisa, You were awesome too. And Robin, thank you. Okay. So incredible work. You can read their work because I'm going to have links to it in the show notes. So Sadna, thank you so much for spending your time with me this Friday afternoon. Scott, I feel like I have a new friend. Thank you so much. I agree. I agree. I love it. I absolutely love it. I look forward to our paths crossing again soon. Right. And thank you and same to you. A couple reflections on this episode. So first, uh, Gama Perucci and his legacy. I'm going to put a couple links in the show notes for you to explore some of his work if you're not familiar with it. And uh, just an incredible person, absolutely incredible person. And then we have Sadna and, and you know the the work that they did with this team from all over the globe is pretty incredible. It's not easy to have a group of individuals with diverse perspectives coalesce and create a document together. So I want to say thank you to Gama and Sadna for that work and and that contribution to the community. And then it's her work at Dartmouth. I had an early episode with Susan Komovez where we talked about the need for scaffolding, and it sounds like 
at Dartmouth, they have been very, very intentional about how they're scaffolding this experience for undergraduates, which I have great respect for, and I look forward to learning more about. As always, thank you for checking in. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Share widely if you're finding value in this podcast, in this experience. We have some exciting episodes coming up, and I just can't thank you enough for being on this journey with us. Take care. Bye-bye. You, my friend, have just finished another episode of Phrenesis Practical Wisdom for Leaders. To get in touch with me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Now, if you have feedback, I would love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening to Phrenesis. If you like Phrenesis, I have a second podcast. It's called the Captovation Podcast. That's with an O, Captovation Podcast, where I speak with experts on the topic of designing and delivering incredible presentations. And now, Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.